0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Uh, my name is Bert, the senior pastor of Every Nation Church GTA, and uh, that video there we used to play a lot as our welcome video, and, uh, and, and the words follow the call were very meaningful uh, to us. Uh, we've moved around a lot. Uh, I'm originally from Vancouver Island. I came to Christ through Uh, One of the co-founders of our church, Rice Brooks, who he was doing campus ministry back in the olden days and uh, came to my dorm room as a student and led me to Christ and uh, really taught me about what it meant to serve Jesus as not just Savior but Lord of all. And uh, then we ended up uh, quitting my job as an optician and we moved from Vancouver to Calgary. So that was our first time following the call. Uh, to church planting and starting from scratch at the University of Calgary. And then after doing that for nine years, there was another follow the call moment where uh, we were asked to come to Nashville, Tennessee, which is our North American headquarters for every nation. This church is a part of a family of churches and campus ministries that is now in more than 80 nations. And so I was invited to come down there for a season. It was supposed to be just a short season. Turned it out to be a short season of 14 years, and uh, so our fourth child was born there. So we had one in two in Vancouver, one in Calgary, one in um, Nashville, and then 10 years ago, we moved back to Toronto and had another baby. No, we didn't. <laughs> uh, um, no, wars <laughs> enough. And uh, but the reason why I bring all this up, following the call, is that um, we'll hear more about this at the end, but. Uh, next uh, time we meet on the 23rd, uh, we're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary because it was actually Easter Sunday, 10 years ago today, uh, that this church became Every Nation Church Toronto, and I became a senior pastor, and we had, there was a previous group called Catalyst here that kicked things off, so it's been uh, 10 years, you know, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out, is it 10 good years or 10 bad years, so it's like... Um, it's actually both, isn't it? Because isn't that life? Isn't that life? Isn't there a mixture of highs and lows and everything? But through all of that, uh, God uh, God is good. Um, we're going to look. I, was, I, I just couldn't figure out what to preach on today on Easter. So I thought, I'm going like to preach on the resurrection of Jesus. And... Uh, Uh, Just um, good, but you know when you preach these messages over and over and things, it's 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 often hard to find like a new angle. Like what can, what can you not, what can you say that's not already been said uh, millions of times now over the years. And so I pray that there'll be some nuances here that will be um, really timely for each one of us, for where we're at, for where you're at, for where I'm at uh, in my life right now. We're going to begin by uh, actually having. couple of scriptures. The first one I want to look at is actually the moment of Jesus' death. And then I want to also look at a scripture, both of these scriptures from the book of Mark, one of the four gospels. And I want to look at the very moment that uh, the first followers, the women who went to the tomb, actually understood that Jesus had been risen uh, from the dead. So here's the first scripture on the moment of Jesus' death. It's Mark 1, uh, Mark found in the book of Mark. And it says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama Sabbathani, which means, that's Aramaic, that's why I couldn't say it very well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the bystanders hearing this said, behold, he is calling Elijah, and some someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put a reed on it and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this way that he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. That's the moment of Jesus' death. Now let's look uh, three days later. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed and said to him, do not be afraid. Be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Lord, help us uh, really understand what message you have to speak into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the moment of Jesus' death, it talks about how a darkness uh, came upon the land. Um, I'm I'm pretty linear. I'm pretty rational. And so I think it was probably a solar eclipse or something like that. You know, I mean, there's often ways of explaining things that not everything has to be a miracle. Uh, but it's actually not true. It isn't. It was a miracle because um, even s- the greatest solar eclipse we had one in Nashville a few years ago, and one of our families of our church actually went down to it. And even the dark period before and after doesn't last that long. It doesn't last three hours. It was supernatural. It was supernatural that in the middle of the day, basically, it was like noon till three p.m. Everything just went. I mean, dark. Now why would God? Uh, Make this supernatural sign to all the people of just this darkness, you know, at the moment of Jesus' death. And what we know uh, is that when Jesus was suffering on the cross, he was suffering for the sin, for the brokenness uh, of our world. And darkness in Scripture uh, is mentioned a lot. The, The imagery of light and darkness is. Mentioned so many times in scripture. But the very, very first time that darkness was actually mentioned uh, is in Genesis, in the very beginning of the Bible, actually. Um, In Genesis uh, 1, it says this In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of the God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So what we see is that before there was anything, there was darkness, there was formlessness, uh, there was a void and then God brought light in order at creation and so One of the the things that we see in darkness, because it contrasts to light when God formed things and took the darkness and put it into order and chaos, is we see this word, this idea of darkness being things disintegrating. As opposed to form and God's hand puts things together, darkness talks about pulling things apart, about disintegration. It's about pulling things apart. Apart from one another, I've been looking for new words to kind of look at the second chapter of the story of God, which is um, the fall. And we use this graphic here at uh, this church quite a bit, just describing uh, an overview of what's called a meta narrative of the whole Bible. It's like the arc of the entire Bible uh, can be summed up in these four chapters of creation, fall, redemption. And restoration, that's when God makes a new heaven and a new earth. It's really the fuller concept of the idea of heaven and the kingdom of God. But when we talk about the second chapter of the fall of man, or what what is this fall? What is this brokenness? And there's many ways that it can be described, but I've I've never thought of it as being described as disintegration. The decay, the pulling apart The opposite of of light and form is darkness and and disintegration. So, of course, in in my logical mind, I want to look up the definition of disintegration. And so, it's this. And by the way, uh, I actually found out, like, I'm not super formally trained in theology, but I did find out that theologians actually believe that disintegration is one of the meanings and nuances of biblical darkness. So, I've got some smart people backing me up here. Um, (laughs) But uh, disintegration, what does it mean just from a dictionary definition? The process of losing cohesion or strength. Think about these things. We're going to go from the head to the heart. um, The process of coming to pieces. Or since we're on the University of Toronto, I know some some of you guys study science. I put this one up too in physics a process in which a nucleus or other subatomic particle emits a smaller particle or divides into smaller pieces. Okay, there you go for you uh, science people um, out there. Darkness, this cloud came upon Jesus, this disintegration, this pulling apart, this ripping apart was all put on Jesus so that we would be able to have an opportunity to have the opposite of that. Because everything that Jesus did on the cross is about a substitution. It's about He lived the life we should have lived, and He died the death that we should have died. Everything's about a substitution. What the darkness that he encountered had this disintegrating impact on his life. I wanted to really also kind of prophetically think what's been going on in our world today and how might you be feeling things? Um, Have you felt like, and here's a question that I want to put to you today. Have you felt like your life is disintegrating in some way? Just think about that for a sec. If everything's going great in your life, praise God. And uh, that's awesome. Like I said, we've been 10 years back in Canada, and, you know, I, when I look back, it's I'm really happy because of all that God has done here. But I can also uh, honestly look back and say, you know, there's some things when I look back in my own personal life where I feel like some things have actually disintegrated. They've actually gone uh, backwards. One of the things I'm sad about is I won't tell you everything about my life. I only tell everything to my wife and my counselor, okay? So, but, but I'll, I'll go a little, I'll take a little step. You know, one of the things that I was pretty proud of was my, uh, um, I would say it's my ability to run and my ability to, like, be in tip-top shape. And uh, if you look at me right now, I'm not in tip-top shape. <laughs> Ten years ago, I would run two to three marathons a year, like the full 42K. Uh, and I was fast, too. I mean, sometimes in the smaller runs, the 10Ks and the half, I would come in like second or third in my age group. And I, I kind of looked back and I thought, you know, life was so secure and stable uh, before that, like I just had lots of, I had such a rhythm and a routine in my life that it was easy for me to work in, you know, a couple running clubs. Uh, and just lots of different things. And I'm sharing that story because I'm trying to uh, get you to connect as well. Like I know it's, uh, you know, a happy day and it's a, it, it's a resurrection. But we don't preach Sunday day Christianity around here. We preach the real, the, the, the real ups and downs of life. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we just want to like show how happy we are because we love Jesus and put a smile on our face all the time. But that's not life. That's not life. Life has its highs and it has its lows. And um, so I want, to, I want to connect. What are some of the disintegrating things in your life right now or what you've felt over the past few years? Uh, maybe you're a student, and it's been harder to get the grades that you had hoped for. Perhaps past are shooting to become a doctor, and now realize that no matter how you, hard you try, you're not likely going to make it to medical school. Or maybe you're looking for a graduate program and you're realizing, uh, I'm not gonna get into a good school for grad school. Maybe in your career, you realize your job is becoming less and less satisfying, more and more stressful, and filled with more and more conflict. Or maybe you're just bored out of your mind. Um, What about your health? you're experiencing a new health challenge and with new health challenges. Here's the one thing, and I'm sorry for those of you who are in the medical, but one of the things that I don't understand is why when you're sick, oftentimes it's like, come back again and we'll try to figure out what's wrong with you. And then you go to specialists and they're like, well, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And then you send your... I'm sorry, I guess the human body's more complicated. I'm sorry, doctors, if I'm offending you right now. But, but, But the reason why I bring that up I bring that up is because as a pastor I get the other side of this it's like what's wrong with you I don't know I went to my general doctor they sent me to well what did the specialist say they don't know they're sending me to another one and 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 I'm like I'm ministering to these people because the anxiety of not even you know something's got to be wrong with you but you can't figure out what it is And so sometimes the biggest thing in health challenges is the anxiety that goes along with it, trying to figure out. And then when you do figure out what it is, it's like, how do you treat it? And so uh, health, relationships, you went through a difficult breakup. Or in marriage, you're now facing marital conflict. Or you desire marriage and you're entering your 30s or maybe your 40s and you still haven't found someone. These are all Things that are difficult, they're the disintegration of the perfect order and harmony of creation that came because of the effects of the fall. Or maybe your finances, just making ends meet's getting really hard. Or you need to refinance your mortgage at a much higher rate. Or finding a place with reasonable rent is impossible. That's called anywhere in the GTA. Um, <laughs> Or just your personal life, you're experiencing depression, anxiety, a general low mood, and you previously were much happier. <sighs> when Jesus experienced on the cross the cosmic darkness and total disintegration, he suffered and felt every one of these things for you and for me. And then there was... The greatest thing of his loss was losing the relationship with the Father that he had in all eternity. Because when he was hanging on the cross, nails, crown of thorns, all of those things, you know, he wasn't saying, Oh, my hands, my hands, oh, my feet, my feet, oh, my head, my head. At the moment of his death, the thing that was most distressing to his very soul was, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? That what he lost ultimately for us was his relationship with God that had been perfect for all eternity. And just think about it. Uh, what would that feel like in your life? See, if, I'm a, if I meet kind of a, an acquaintance or something and uh, they say to me, Bert, you really ticked me off, I never want to see you again. Oh, okay, that'll bother me a little bit. Um, but if my best friend said that to me, or my wife, which I knew she would She wouldn't say that to me, but I mean, what if, you know, in a worst case, so what am I saying is the more you know someone and the, and the closer you are, the more a the more breakup has an impact, right? Even if you're, you know, maybe you're in a dating relationship or you've been in a dating relationship and you're getting to know one, you're getting really, really close, and you're thinking maybe marriage, maybe not, and then you break up. I mean, that's hard, right? Whereas if it was someone you just met, a couple online dates, and then you're on, like, there's no no big deal. You're on to the next one, right? But in Jesus' case, this beautiful fellowship that he had with God the Father for all eternity, the definition of love itself The definition of life itself. When he took on this darkness, when he took on this disintegration, he did it for you and I. What he lost in his relationship with Father opened up the door for you and I to have that that relationship. Here's the good news, though. Even through your disintegration, and this is kind of the prophetic part that I want to bring out. I believe that God actually can do some good things in our life, even through the difficulty. One is that he is reminding us that ultimately it's not our studies, our job, our finances, our health, and even our human relationships that are the most important thing in our lives. If we love the Lord, uh, it can be a transforming process, though it's still hard. See, if we put too much hope in any of these things or give them an un- Rightful place in our lives, then we'll always be let down. If I'm sad that I'm a little out of shape right now, no, I'm really out of shape right now, but I'm not devastated. My identity isn't in how far I can run today. Now, if it was, I would be devastated. And that's the message that God has for you and for I, you and for I. It's like, yes, do good in your job. But ultimately, your job cannot set you free. Your job cannot give you an identity. Your job cannot give you an ultimate purpose. Yes, students do good in your studies, but ultimately, the score on your tests are not going to ultimately determine who you are. They're not going to ultimately determine your value, your worth, your destiny. Yes, do all these things. Have great relationships, but even if they break down, Ultimately, there's one relationship that can never be taken away from you, and that's the relationship with God. And so, God actually works through some of these difficulties to take us and put, help us put all the other things in our life in their proper order and their proper presence. And uh, as many uh, great uh, theologians have said, that the human heart is an idol-producing factory. Meaning we can always conjure up one more thing to make us happy and then begin to worship it in an unhealthy manner. You know, shopping is good, but you can become a shopping addict. I mean, you just name the thing. You know, for parents, you know, I mentioned that we have four kids. Um, You're never going to make four perfect kids. If you don't know that, I'm just going to... then it was worth coming to the sermon just for that. (laughs) And not only that, your identity of who you are ultimately isn't how your kids do. Yeah, try your best. I'm not saying don't try to raise good kids, raise good kids. But there can be a thing with that, because I know, because we're high-performance parents, and we realize that what happens is then you can begin to push kids and drive kids and you can begin to do all kinds of unhealthy things and it's more about them making you look good but that's not loving your kids it's loving yourself and so all of these things have these pieces to them all these parts of life that, that when they're in the right place God can really bless them but as soon as they get an inflated place in our lives, I believe that disintegration can actually help us and get us back recentered. If you lose a job, okay, my identity is not my job. It can help you deal with a really hard fact or whatever it is that becomes, in the, in, in the words that I've been using, this disintegration uh, process. And the proof that the most important thing that we have is our relationship with God is what we read in the scripture is said that at the moment of Jesus' death that there was a curtain that was torn from top to bottom at the temple. Top to bottom, just a signal, this came from heaven, not from earth. And at that point, for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, Jewish temple, uh, the curtain was uh, a thick, it wasn't like just a veil, it was a thick curtain and behind it was what was known in the temple as the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, the high priest could ever go in there. And even then, it was with fear and trepidation. And he made a sacrifice and an atonement for the nation of Israel. And at the moment of Jesus' death, that veil was torn down. And what what, did, what was in other places of scripture explained that that meant that every one of us can be that priest before God, not because of what we did, but because of what he did in our stead. Because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, every one of us now can come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him. It's beautiful. And when we think of what God did in the light, no amount of earthly disintegration can touch our living hope. Look at this scripture. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The beautiful thing of what God has done for us and what we celebrate at this resurrection is that this relationship with God that is now available to you and I can never be taken away. Salvation is the greatest gift. It's not dependent on us. It never was and it never will. And it can never be taken away. It is actually kept in heaven by the power of God for you and for me, so you can never blow it too much. Do you realize that you could be whatever? You could be just think, trying to think of the worst thing. I don't want to say Hitler because that's always the worst. <laughs> it's like every everything you just go straight to Hitler. Uh, <laughs> you could be a mafia guy, and you could be like a paid killer, and God can still forgive. And God can still transform. And God can still do a wonderful work in my life and yours. The other thing I wanted to bring up just with the two parts of the scripture that we read, when we look back at the resurrection, and the very first thing that the women at the empty tomb discovered was an angel of light. We're going to say darkness and light. The very first thing before they even saw Jesus, they saw the symbolism of an angel of light at the resurrection, saying that Jesus took on darkness and then brought his light to you and to me. It was the very thing, and this light does dispel all darkness. To conclude, our church and many other churches have been Really praying for renewal and a revival. Um, we went. We went on a uh, uh, to see this movie called Jesus uh, Revolution, and uh, my wife and then I as well. We were sort of, in one sense, saved on the very tail end fumes of that amazing thing that happened fifty years ago uh, in Southern California that spread out all over North America, where literally. Hundreds of thousands of young people, hippies, uh, were saved, were baptized in the Pacific Ocean and then all over American Canada. And then um, at, uh, for those of you who might have heard that Asbury College uh, in Kentucky has had this prayer meeting that was uh, just went on night and day for hours and hours and has spread to other campuses. And it just seems to me that this is what I think – spiritual hunger that God is asking us to reach for right now. That he is asking us to say, let's not have business as usual. Let's believe for, if you did it, you know, you did it in the early church, if you did it in the, you know, in the Jesus movement, uh, in the late 60s and early 70s Lord, 70s, Lord, you're the same God, you can do it today. But here's what has, has to happen. It can't be business as usual. If we are so wrapped up in just all the things that I talked about. And I believe that God, through disintegration, through challenges, through the things, can actually uh, take us to a place of more dependence on him. And how do you know there's more dependence? Because there's more crying out, there's more prayer. It's not necessarily a number of prayer meetings, but that too, but also the cry of your heart. Saying, God, there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something more than this job. Lord, there's gotta be something more than uh, just just the things of this world. There has to be more, Lord. And so give me more, more of what you have. Um, I believe that God has refined his people by showing them what's really important uh, and what's not in this hour. And as we take communion today, I want us to remember that he has actually dealt with darkness and brought light into your heart. And into mine. And maybe you're a person, you say, look, I kind of go to church once, once in a while, or at least go at Easter, but you don't really know Jesus. You don't really know him as the person who has actually forgiven your sins. You don't know what it means to really have a relationship with him. But you might be saying, I sense that there's something more for me. When you have that sense, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. That's exactly what happened to me when I was a uh, university student in Vancouver at UBC. I didn't understand everything that was being said, but what I did understand was something is drawing me to this, and there's something missing in my life, and it has something to do with what Jesus did. Well, it doesn't just have something to do with what Jesus did. Is when we celebrate his death and resurrection, he asks us to put our faith in him to put our trust in him, to say, I want to follow you. I want to be transformed. I want to be forgiven. And I want to live for you. And if that's the attitude of your heart, as we close in prayer today, I want to help you express that to God. Because maybe today is a day where you can say, you know what? I'm going to cross over that line, or at least I'm going to tell God today that I want more of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you dispel darkness and bring your light. Thank you, Lord, that even as we go through the list of uh, potential challenges uh, in our lives, Lord, that where we feel the effects of the fall, where we feel, Lord, uh, the effects of the disintegration, where we feel, Lord, things unraveling, but we know that ultimately, Lord, those things don't matter as much as you, that, Lord, sometimes they're just pushing us Lord, to what's really important, which is you. Having a relationship with you, knowing you, living for you, living our entire life for you. Uh, Lord, being willing, as we say, to follow the call, to follow whatever you have for us. And Lord, I believe in today that, Lord, you're calling people, either calling people for the first time or calling people back to that first love and that radical, radical commitment that they once knew. Lord, on this Easter, let it be a moment of transformation. Lord, at this Easter, at this time, in this room, Lord, let our lives be transformed. Lord, I feel and sense spiritual hunger in some hearts, even here today, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would help each and every person understand and know what the next step in their lives are. And for some of you, it's just a simple prayer. If you've never received Christ as Savior, Lord, to say, a simple prayer with this, these types of words if, their attitude, if this is the attitude of your heart. Lord, I know I'm separate from you and I believe that Jesus came to earth and died and rose again to pay for sin, to bring me into restoration with you, God. Lord, however I do it, I believe that. I turn from living my life for me and I want to live for you from this day forward. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's the attitude of your heart, then, and you've prayed that, I want you to let one of us know that today's the day, or tell your friend that you came with. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.